Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanderers of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. And I'm Keith Foster, the writer of Kadoja, Three Protectors, and Animals, which is going to be in stores any day now. Yeah, you are, buddy. You're also a person who drinks beer. Were you saying that I'm a, a beer man about town? A, a beer gad about? Yeah, that's yeah. the word on the street about you. That, I mean, that's that's a that makes sense. And actually, the the specific place where the word is on the street is Claremont. This is one of those beers, Scott. So I'm going to show this to you. It's Claremont Craft Ales, mm-hmm. and it is the grapefruit double IPA. Double IPA. Double IPA. Oh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. So I like so, both of those things. Yeah, I, I I think this is like right up your alley. And what I think is kind of cool is I'm pretty sure this is something you cannot get in San Diego. It is extremely local. Claremont Craft Ales is in the Trader Joe's around me, but it okay. is also you know 15 miles that way. It's like right there in Claremont, California, and. I was in the Trader Joe's the other day. The one, the one, so there's one where I work and then there's one closer to where I live and they're only really like 15 miles apart, but the beer selection is pretty different. And what was trippy about the one near where I live is they go heavy on the Claremont stuff. And I have always avoided Claremont because as I showed you, like no offense or nothing, I think these cans are kind of lame. You know, like I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm a sucker for like dope eye-catching designs these their thing is pretty simple and it's never quite caught my eye and therefore i haven't tried the beers um so i was like well screw it what kind of stupid reason is that to not try some beers so i got a few i actually had one the other night and i liked it a lot and uh, i'm just getting sipping on this grapefruit double ipa 16.9 ounces 8.8 friend so this is uh this is up there is up there. I, I said oh, holy shit, but I thought 16 was the ABV. But uh, oh. so I got overly <laughs> excited there. Holy shit, you're drinking a pint of beer. Holy shit, you're drinking a standard can that we drink on the podcast. <laughs> Look I'm at you. I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah. How about <laughs> How you, dare man? you? Yeah. Uh, what are you drinking? Um, you know, I was in I was in Arizona a few weeks ago. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> While I was there, me and Gary went to the beer store and I got this. It's it's a Carl Strauss. Carl Strauss uh, Brewing Company. Oh. And it's in San Diego, so it's kind of weird that I bought it, uh, <laughs> seeing that it's local. Yes. Uh, but hey, this traveled all the way from Arizona and back here. So it's a golden stout. It's brewed with coffee, vanilla beans, cacao nibs, and um, it is 16 ounces, of course. And it is 7.5% ABV. So not too shabby. I don't know how smart it is to have uh, some coffee at uh you know at night yeah. but uh hey yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes yeah what what color is a golden stout i couldn't tell you the can unfortunately <laughs> is not clear and it is God not a glass it. i just i feel like those two things don't go together it's like yeah a stout is is chocolatey brown well what the hell is just a looking at stout? the looking at the residue that's on the lip of the can after i took a sip it is clear more or less, mm-hmm. yeah. It's pretty clear. But no, I agree. A stout and a coffee, or cacao nibs and coffee beans, you'd think this would be a darker beard. It is yeah. not. It's yeah. a, and, and as we've talked about on previous episodes, if you're unaware, cacao nibs are the cow nipples. Facts. A chocolate, chocolate brown cow. A chocolate brown cow's nipples, right. We all know that. Everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. I'm so right. what's the first thing you did today or did this week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to... Transition. I'm, transition. That was, a, that was a seamless transition. Um, Thank you. I, I have three things. One of them is much more involved than the other two, but let's start a little lighter in terms of the work I did. So the first thing is that I got the pencils back to pages 15 through 21. In other words, the end of Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. So oh, right on. I am... I, I am on any minute status to get essentially the final inks and tones, which will complete the entirety of issue three of Symphony of Madness. And I'm, I'm really excited. You know, like these, these pages were cool. And I thought I, it, it was great to get them back. I was particularly looking to the page 20 and 21 spread. So there were a couple things I wanted to mention about these pages because for writers out there, I was, I'm generally not that picky about what I get back from an artist. We, we've talked about this, we've touched on it a lot in, in the previous 130 some episodes. Um, but I knew going in that like the final page here was going to require just a little bit more, um, you know, back and forth on my end, or at least it could have. But I wanted to mention the first thing I want to talk about is clarity, which is, um, I, I have something happen at the scene of uh, of something that happened in volume two and it's a mountain it's it's um it's actually the mountains in like the kamchatka range on the soviet kamchatka peninsula so that's where a lot of um valley of the giants took place and so we returned to that site for a little bit and i so i described it in the panel and uh and then i got the page back and the the stuff happening in the mountains was cool but the mountains were surrounded by town. And so I realized, you know, this is one of those things of like, sort of on me, sort of on the artist. But, you know, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making it a big deal that he doesn't know that this mountain range is out in the middle of nowhere and the nearby town, it, it's not the kind of thing that like surrounds it, right? So what we had was buildings kind of on the top and on the bottom, you know, panel going top to bottom with the mountain in the middle because it's an overhead shot. Um, they were everywhere. So I went back to him and I was like, hey, so number one, so can you just make the town not so tight against the mountain? Like there's there's more sort of foothills in between the mountain and the town. And, and so make the town smaller and make it at as far at the bottom as you can while making it obvious it's a town. So he said, he, he's like, no problem. He gives it back to me. And I had forgotten to mention what I just told you, which was there was some town at the top that I guess I hadn't seen or hadn't even thought about. Maybe he put it there on the second pass. I wasn't even that concerned. And I was like, okay, so can you get rid of that too? You know, like the only town needs to be on the bottom because the, this is the Kamchatka Peninsula. Cities aren't that populated. And, and there needs to be a little room between the town and the actual city, quote unquote. It's not a very big city that I'm talking about, but it's, it's a quote unquote city. So I thought that was interesting because I didn't really have that kind of clarity in the scene because I had just assumed that, you know, maybe he'd read the whole thing and all that stuff. But I think a note to the writers out there is you can be a little more clear with that. You know, as a refresher, you can just put reminder. This is a mountain range that's not near a city, etc. Uh, was this did you say this was in a previous volume? 
Mm-hmm. Volume two. Yeah. 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 Definitely helpful, especially if you're changing artists and it wasn't the artist from the person who drove, right. uh, drew that first volume or whatever volume it took place yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely good to send that over. I know when I'm working with cover artists, I'll try to send them as much as possible. Like if they're working on a specific character, it's like I'll give them more than enough information, like turnarounds of the characters, like throughout the book, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I had talked about previously, I I don't always do turnarounds, uh, you know, character turnarounds, which which we all should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make sure I cover my basis when I am sending them reference. It's like okay, here's the complete turnaround of that, and so specific locations. Um, especially if they've been used before or if they're real and you want them, you want it to be as close to realistic as possible. Um, uh, reference is always key. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good to know. And it's, it's helpful. And I think it does show that communication is a two way street that there, it, it needs to happen on both sides. So that brings us to the other thing about these pages that I, I found interesting, which was the final spread of issue three in terms of storytelling. This is the thing that's going to that's supposed to get everyone excited for the fourth issue of the arc, the final issue, the big Dukeroo, to quote Jack Nicholson in the first Batman movie. So I I wrote some stuff in there and and made it pretty clear that what I wanted was detail. Because there's some elements in there again. You you haven't even read. I know we were talking earlier that like you don't even want spoilers for volume four because you're waiting for the whole thing to come out and then you're going to read it. So and I don't like giving spoilers anyway, but I wanted a lot of detail. So he gave it back to me and, and I was like, look, this is really good. But Kobe Bryant, how much more detail should there be? More detail. Right. More detail. So I went back to him and I said, I like this, but like, I need, you know, let's go with 30 or so more objects in this page. And I said, think Jeff Darrow, like Jeff Darrow, like that's the vibe that I want here. And he was like, no problem, do it. He came back and actually he nailed that on the second attempt, you know, basically on, on, on one thing of feedback, which I thought was pretty cool. But again, this, this goes into the vein of communication I think um, I like to think of myself as a, you know, like you've talked about in larger context, Scott, like a flexible thinker. So I'm always going to get the art back and then just judge it on its own. I'm not the kind of writer that compares notes to a script most of the time. Um, But I am the kind of writer that, you know, if I need to step in and say a couple things or or I have a very strong feeling about a certain panel, I'm going to do it. And, And leading into this issue, even when I wrote the issue, I was like, the this spread that ends the issue is going to be I have a strong opinion about it and I know what I want on it. So I'm probably going to do a little bit more sort of pushing from the writer end to get it to resemble the thing in my head. Of course, it ended up being cooler than the thing in my head, but that level of detail, etc. So it was great. And and now I've seen it and I can't wait to get the finished inks back. And hey, I'm almost through uh through Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three art. So that's exciting. All that's left is the lettering and doing some other stuff. And then, hey, maybe in a couple months, I probably throw up a, a nice little Kickstarter for it. Right on, man. Yeah, you know, um, I think that's the right amount of input um, that an artist would want to hear. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, step in when you need to. But overall, you're like, yeah, this is cool. You know, mm-hmm. and and there's nothing wrong with that. So, And the notes that you gave him on those final pages is completely acceptable it's no, yeah. not a big deal That's and good. uh i'm glad he nailed it and man he's quick he's he very is. quick so yeah 
yeah, you're very lucky to find such a quick artist, man. I'm jealous. I wish I could draw that fast, but uh, <laughs> that is not in the cards, unfortunately. Great, yeah, he goes to work. He goes to work like a doctor. What was your first thing you did this week? Yeah, so I, I worked on Paradise Hills. I actually finished another page. So we are um, six pages down out of out of 12. And man, I was debating for a quick minute about dropping the first page. And like the first image that I was going to have you see was like, uh, and this is not like a huge spoiler. It's going to be on page two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like a kid drawing with street chalk. Mm-hmm. And the close-up is chalk on the ground and you know uh, and then it you know pans out and whatever and then you go into the story so initially that was page one mm-hmm. and i was like the that's chalk? a perfectly yeah the chalk okay yeah a close-up of the chalk mm-hmm. and it's a perfectly good way to start a story it's like okay you see you see chalk drawing on the ground what's the first thing you you think of when you see chalk on the ground it's usually kids kids mm-hmm. drawing on chalk right so it pans out it gets you to the kid gets you to the main character and then, you know, you go through the story. And I was like, you know, that's pretty good. But after revamping it, I had start, I had changed it up, and I had the first page be a uh, just a giant scene shot of a neighborhood. Mm. And I was debating on dropping it just so I could get that much more ahead. I was like, well, my initial thought was this could work as a first page. Now, the only reason that I'm not going to do it is, one, the exterior shot um, setting the scenery is very important like it's it could be taken out in this instance because you're going to get there like through this story for sure but it does mess up a page flip you know a page turn and you Mm -hmm. always want to make you always want to have those good reveals you don't want to have your reveal on the right hand side because if you've ever read a comic book you know that you cannot help yourself but to look to the right if you see a giant image like in your peripheral vision to the right you have it. You just can't help yourself. You end up looking at it, like, yeah. even if you don't want to. You end up doing it. Like at least that's the case for me. So to hold that page page turn, that page reveal uh, was really important. So I decided to keep it in there. But having another page down um, is all very exciting. So I'm officially more than halfway there. I'm working on another page, which already had previously three panels done. So now there's just two more panels to go on it. So that one's at the home stretch as well. So before you know it, I'll have uh, seven pages out of the 12 done. So it's chugging along really nicely. And, you know, we're getting some panel work done. I think I got like three three panels done this week. It's not the desired seven that I normally do. But, um, you know, this project's it's just a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more involved, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So um, three panels this week we'll just have to do. And, uh, yeah, man, it's moving, and it's looking good. That's, I mean, that's interesting. I, I want to stick on this. I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. You had a drawing on page one that was going to be sort of this chalk establishment, and then you flip the page, and then you have the the overarching neighborhood shot is that what you're saying like a big neighborhood shot so you just go straight there so you were you were thinking of substituting the images is that what you were thinking of doing the initial layout of the pages the initial thumbnail page one was the chalk page okay i decided not to have that as page one so that is now page two it's been page two for quite some time um page one is the overhead shot of the neighborhood and so i was debating and uh, so i changed page one to that and page two being the chalk, and I move forward, I did all the panel, the thumbnails. And it's been like that pretty much since I finished the thumbnails. But as I've been chugging along, and I was just like, man, speed, 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 I need to move through these a little quicker. 
I was debating on getting rid of that new page one, that overhead mm. shot of the neighborhood. So, but I decided against it. So, um, you know, you'll have those battles with yourself as a storyteller, as an artist, as someone who's trying to make deadlines. And um, it was something I thought about. And, you know, after a day's worth of hemming and hawing, I was just like, it's just not a good idea. Just suck it up and, and you know, draw that neighborhood. So okay. it's, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult because I'm going to have to find a way to get an overhead shot of a neighborhood in Paradise Hills. And I just mm -hmm. don't know where, where the hell I'm going to do that. Like, I don't know if that's going to be available on like Google images somehow. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be tough. And the issue I'm having specifically is that once you see Paradise Hills, the backgrounds are very detailed and it's very, it's very much like, it's hard to say. It's just like everything is very accurate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the characters are very cartoony, but they're, the background is are very detailed. There's detail on everything. And so yeah. like, and I'm, and I'm taking reference photos for everything. And that's the way I'm able to get this much detail is because I have visual images to, to help me through them. Right. Um, this one is just like, okay, it's going to be, have, have to be a combination of just imagination or, or something like that. Or I'm, I'm going to have to like, I don't know, meet a stranger and say, Hey, can I take a picture from your roof or something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, something yeah, yeah. fucking insane that I probably will not do. Um, but there has to be a way for me to get it. And it's just a matter of me figuring it out to like find a neighborhood that has a hill and just get on the top of that hill and take a shot, you know, paradise Hills. Um, it does, it does, uh, lend to its own name. It, it, it definitely is a hilly area. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's possible, but it's just going to take some work and I'm gonna have to go back down to that area where I grew up in and try to find a spot. So it's going to be tough. Okay. okay. So we're recording and this is a live thing for us as we're speaking it anyway, but like, yes. I, I want to, I want to give you a couple other options, right? And I want to speak from experience Please. too, or at least I'm going to give you one option, make it up there there's no there's no law requiring you to be 100% accurate to paradise hills you know i was talking oh god i don't know when it was scott was it on like gary's live stream a couple weeks ago when i was talking about it was on some kind of conversation that was being recorded about how neil gaiman's american gods really helped me understand how to interweave fiction and reality and um, so, so one of the prominent things in the book, one of the prominent set pieces in American Gods is a place called the House on the Rock. And it is this weird, multi-acre, crazy estate where, like, stuff just kept getting built. It's got all kinds of weird shit, dude. It's, I mean, the like, so in, in American Gods, the book and the, um, the, the TV series, they film and use heavy portions of the House on the Rock. I was so obsessed with going to the house on the rock because of American gods that I did. My kids were actually fencing. They had a tournament in Milwaukee, which is a two hour drive each way from house on the rock. But we did it. We did it on a, like a Sunday morning. They fenced it one and we still fit it in. And um, what was fascinating about going there was. So on with an hour, like with 30 minutes left in the drive, I queued up the passage on the audiobook that talked about the description of the house on the rock. And I played it for the kids and I'm like, listen to this. And then we toured it and then we got back in the car. And then on the drive back, I played it again. And it was, it was 
fascinating and essential to see where Neil Gaiman kept it real and where Neil Gaiman diverged and did what he wanted to do for the sake of the story, right? So I found that lesson so valuable, it carried me all the way through my first novel, all the way through, because the town that my novel takes place in borrows heavily from reality. I visited it just so I could walk around, and it is it is not close to where I live. But that allowed me, and knowing what I knew about Neil Gaiman, to then divert and do whatever I wanted. So I would say on a, on a lesser, you know, level of complexity and expense, um, I think you just do what you want. You know, you could you could take an aerial photo of any neighborhood, try to pop in a few things that make Paradise Hills the signature, and you're good to go. So the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there, but I would encourage you. I mean, this is this isn't you this isn't the Paradise Hills, it's your Paradise Hills. And your Paradise Hills can have a 90% overlap with the Paradise Hills, but it doesn't have to be a hundred. You're not filming a documentary. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah, it's something for me to mull over. I'll uh, probably still go down to the area just to see if there is somewhere that I can get some kind of vantage point. Mm-hmm. Um, looking down at a, a neighborhood of some sort. Um, it doesn't have to be the, speci- the specific one that I've been referencing um, with all these photos. But if I can get something close enough, and that's kind of the beauty of Paradise Hills. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the same. Like It's like track homes. Um, but it's just a specific style of track home. And so when you see them, you're like, yeah, this is, I know this mm-hmm. area, you yeah. know? So it's, um, it, it's a lot of the same style building. So I'm pretty sure I can find something, but what I can't find, I can always make up for sure. Rock on, rock on. My second thing, it should be a pretty quick conversation, but I did want to mention it, which is I am, I got another round of stuff from the artist who's doing three protectors volume two. It was great to see. I believe I shared the roughs of the first of of a couple pages with you and Gary, maybe in our chat when they first came back. And like, I was excited to see it. First of all, it's just always exciting to see the beginning of your new comic that you've written start to come back to you as art. But what I what I was pleased with is that even from his kind of rudimentary layout work, that's sort of very it's very sketchy. It's not sort of sketchy. Um, I could tell that this guy is going to do some really cool stuff. And so to get the firmed up inks back or at least close to firmed up. It was very cool. And, and the thing is really taking shape. He does some super cool stuff on the page. I you know, he he sent them to me and I said, these look great. And he's like, so do I take that as you're good to proceed because he's pretty, he has a really nice system, but it's also a rigid system that like I freeze all changes right now, unless you want to pay money going forward. So you need to be sure that kind of thing. But I was like, I'm sure this stuff all looks good. So, Hey, same thing, you know, within hopefully a couple days, I'll, I'll get those first like completed finished inked gray toned pages back or even zip toned. I don't know what he uses because he's a manga guy and uh, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait. So that that was neat. Um, not not much of a you know learning thing or anything. I, I wanted to share about that. Other than it, it never stops being cool. Getting art back from a book you wrote. Oh man, it's it's definitely definitely the same boat that I'm in as an artist. When I get colors back, you know, when I get colors back from Joaquin, I'm like jazzed out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think his system is is fair. You know, it, it's one of those things where he's checking mm-hmm. in with you bef- before he proceeds forward. And to get changes after the fact is annoying as fuck. Yeah. It's like 
wait, no, I, I ran this by you. You, you said it was good to proceed and now you're changing your mind. It's like, mm-hmm. that's not cool. That's not, that's not how it should work. So, yeah. um, I totally get it. And, and that's definitely, uh, a fair thing. Just, it's always badass when you see some new art. Like if I get a cover as well, like if I get cover work done yeah. and just kind of see the prelims come in and then I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's, let's do this. This looks good. You know, go forward and you're just waiting for it to come back and, and it's all dope. And even cooler, if he does come back with some zipatones on it, that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's, it's exciting to me to see the look of three protectors and, and don't get me wrong when he, you know, at some point when we do pages 16 through 20, cause I'm just going five at a time for now. Those are going to be cool, but one through five are you introducing me to how you're going to draw this. So it has a particularly fun novelty to it because, okay, this is how you're going to draw my characters. This is how you do layouts. Like he does really cool shit with layouts. It's it's manga. And I, I haven't had people really stay true to the rules of manga. So it's very cool to see, you know, like, like there's one page where the flow from panel to panel is not a border. It's actually the person. Like there's one person, you know, person one is kind of to the left. Person two is to the right. But the backbone of person two serves as the border into the next bit of action, which is the next panel. They don't have them paneled off. It's just flow. You know, it flows. And that's a manga thing, right? Like manga does that. It uses the actual action and the characters that are part of the action to to serve as panel borders which is very 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 badass and and cool to see right on man yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing those final pages on that yeah Yeah, definitely um so my second thing was i had put in an order for all of the the books that i needed to reorder the metal prints and everything uh, all in time for san diego comic-con they all arrived so they all showed up today actually um two different vendors and yeah, they, they got here the same day, which was awesome. So I got all my prints. I got my metal prints, my trading cards, my metal trading cards, um, reprints of issues 11 and 12 of Second Shift, Wanderers number two. And um, um, oh, more trade paperbacks. So I was out of, I was running low on Second Shift volume two. And so I got another um, load of those in. So. Another reason why that's important, I have been I have not been able to finish um, packing the Kickstarter books um, for Second Shift 13. So the people that ordered issue 13, the variant cover of 13, um, all three covers, more than likely, hopefully, you have all received your books. I sent those out probably about a month ago at this point, mm. like pretty close to a month, like three weeks maybe. I have not been able to send out people's books that got the second shift full-time bundle, which is second shift one through 13, um, because of the, all the conventions that we've been doing. So I had a very limited amount of issues 11 and 12 left. And fortunately and unfortunately, they sold out at the conventions. I sold straight out of them. So I wasn't able to send the rest of these books out. The good news is the delivery date for the Kickstarter was end of July. Mm-hmm. As of this recording, we're towards the end of June. So I'm definitely still ahead of schedule as far as my due date goes. So I'm still comfortable with it, but I do feel bad because I had done 
an update three weeks ago saying, hey, I'm starting to send books out and you guys should have them pretty soon. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you did get a full time bundle or uh, my entire comic collection, uh, just know that that will be going out tomorrow. I'm going to start sending books out tomorrow and hopefully I'll get those all packed in time and those will be to you within the week. You know, which which means that by the time this airs, they should be there. Yes, absolutely. Time travel. Yeah. And if you are listening to this and you didn't get your book, please hit me up. Because as Keith said, this is already in July and uh, a couple of weeks have gone by. So I definitely should have sent the books out. There is one fan um, that got the book from Sweden. So that might take a little bit. So you might not have gotten it yet, but it is on its way. I, I promise. Nice. Nice. Sweden. Sweden just holding it down and representing, which is pretty great. Um, okay, so for me, the third thing I did this week is the thing that by far took the most time. As as is my MO, I'm going to have to put some veils on this. And in fact, I was talking to my wife 30 minutes ago about like, how do I put veils on this to talk about, you know, to talk about how much work I did without really hinting at the exact thing I was doing. And what I arrived at is... Let's reset this just for a quick second, right? I just finished... Oh, I should mention... Well, I I was so close to doing this last week, I think it's worth noting, not even a thing. But I did finish the Animals 2 script. I polished it up. I think it was done when we recorded last week. But I went ahead and sent that off to Mike like four or five days ago. So that's in his hands now. It's done. So if we do a reset, Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three, that's done and the art's there. Three Protectors Volume 2, the art's going to be coming over the next five months, but that script is done. Animals Number 2, that script is not done, but waiting for notes. So now here I am looking at the next things in line for me. And those next things in line are, number one, this new comic that I'm so excited about that I first thought of maybe three weeks ago. And then after that, it's going to be Kadoja Symphony of Madness Number 4, the this is it, baby. We're bringing it on home with the final issue of Kadoja. Um, but the heat is with this new comic. And I have been thinking a lot about the new comic. I already did a basic scene skeleton to it. I did a basic story skeleton to it because, Scott, as you know, it's pretty involved. And this is one of those kind of things. I think Dave Law was talking about this last week because he was doing like a 10 or 11 page treatment. But it really means in some ways you have to do the whole thing. You have to think out certain elements of the entire story to make sure that those 10 or 11 pages you're doing are accurate. And same here. I'm only really going to script the first issue, but I need to have a really good idea of what happens in the other three so that I can make all this stuff work. And that is even more the case this time because to, to keep it... 10,000 feet, but also accurate. This story is a mystery. But there is a mystery within the mystery. So this week was nothing but heavy research and heavy work on the mystery within the mystery. I read a lot of magazine articles. I dug into books. I dug into the internet because I needed to do some research to make sure that this mystery within the mystery was very well presented, well thought out, because it's the kind of thing that I need to have right. I need to know everything I'm going to do in each of the four issues to make sure that I layer in elements of that uh, that mystery correctly. 
that it's not the kind of thing that you can do one issue and then think your way through the next three issues. That that thing has to be fully in place by the time I even write my first page script. So I did all that work. I did a ton of work last night that involved like getting that all perfected and ready and written out and it's done. And so what that means is I'm thrilled. I can actually go back and write the script for the first issue because I think that's the place I am right now. And then I can put all these elements of both the mystery and the mystery within it in there. And I think it's going to be really cool. Again, I'm I'm super excited about this book. And uh, yeah, I mean, from the second I thought about it, which I told you and Gary, like almost right after I did it, when I was working through the basic stuff, I have just kept a very high level of energy about it. In a lot of ways, the desire to work on this helped me complete Animals too, because I was like, I want to write this other thing, but I got to complete Animals 2 first. So this served as that cake that was waiting for me at the end of the meal that was the script for Animals 2. So that part is done. I can go back and, and write the script for the first issue, and uh, that'll be the next thing that I work on from a comic point of view. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's exciting to work on new projects and especially if I mean it's new for me you know second shift is a is an ongoing series there is no end in sight it's just a book that I'm always going to work on I think and Wanderers Melisanda is a maxi series it's 12 issues so the end of that book is nowhere close to in sight like that's mm-hmm. going to be a while before I finish that book you know Paradise Hills there is an ending it's a relatively a relatively quick story you know it's going to be four parts now i haven't decided if that's four 12 page slots or if it's four issues total you know mm-hmm. 22 times four right so i'm not quite sure yet and i think ed and i have to go through it and figure out what this story is going to be in totality um but it's always cool to know that there's an ending i mean like you've yeah. worked on a bunch of projects where there is an ending so it's mm-hmm. it's you know, maybe not as exciting, but like for me to know that a project can be started and finished in a relatively quick fashion is is very exciting. Yeah, I want well, and you you know you in in laying out your stories the way you did, you you brought up you know you made me think about my stories in a certain way, and I think to to keep this balanced, it's worth noting that like okay, so Kadoja has an ending, right? But could Kadoja continue? It absolutely could. This arc is coming to an end like the Infinity Saga, right? The Infinity Stone Saga. But there are more stories to be told in the Kadoji universe if I ever want to revisit that. Three Protectors, I personally believe that that's going to run six small graphic novels or so. But, you know, the my model for Three Protectors is kind of like The Expanse or 2001 Nights, that old manga I love so much, in that... It's meant to kind of fold into the next thing and then keep the story going, maybe with different characters, maybe in a different time frame, but the story keeps unfolding. So Kadoja and and Three Protectors are both the kind of stories that are quote unquote done at a certain point, but you could always revisit them. Even my novel and animals are things that I'm I'm writing endings, but the ending isn't like lock and key, slam the door closed off. This new comic lock and key slam the door closed off it's a four issue comic that's it it 
I can't ever see it being more. There's no door to be left open. There's no door to be cracked open. This be it, you know? So to your point, as much as I tend to favor things with endings because I just like doing it and moving on to the next thing, this is as unopen <laughs> to going forward as anything I will ever do, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Just the idea, what the thing that you have in mind, you told me and Gary, I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, it's... It's definitely a finite story. You know, mm. there's no no going on after that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Wanderers 2, it's it's kind of the same thing as, as your other two series. It's like, yeah, there's an end point, but the story can clearly go on. You know, totally. it's just like there's more story to be had. But, you know, the journey that we're going on for this particular, you know, maxi series it's like yeah yeah it's going to be done in 12 we're going to have a start and we're going to have a finish and that's yeah. that's always nice and uh, the closer you get to that goal the more exciting it is you know like uh for second shift we're building up to a really big story arc in issue 16 and it's going to be issue 16 through 20 mm -hmm. i'm building up to that is getting more and more exciting you know it's yeah. just like we you know 13 is finished so we still need to do 14 and 15 but i think much like you doing the script for animals too the idea of getting to issue 16 is going to make me knock those other two issues out pretty quickly so, absolutely yeah it's all very exciting yeah man good shit uh did you have a third thing nope those are my two for the week hell yeah all right well so hey you're hosting but i guess i should lead into our main topic since i was the one that thought of it and i have like detailed notes on it and stuff so yeah so yeah. it is uh it is extending the story extending the story extending the story so i'm gonna give a, a lead up scott and you feel free to interject whenever you can Unfortunately, I didn't write it down, so I can't remember the exact thing that triggered wanting to do this episode about three weeks ago. But about three weeks ago, I, I got to this idea of extending a story and how there are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And unfortunately, because I didn't take notes at the time, what has stuck in my head are two, like one bad way to do it, one, one. OK, let, let me just go through. Them, right. Here's what I think is a bad way to do it. So, so what we're talking about is you have a story, it has a little bit of an end. So let, let's not say it has a finite slam the door ending like this, this new comic book I'm writing has. But let's say it's more in the Wanderers, Animals, Kadoja kind of vein where like I have an end. But it could always, there can always be more stories from that universe. Because this is the kind of thing that people on TV shows run into, and this is the kind of people that kind of thing that people with certain comics run into. And the first comic I'm going to talk about is Death Note. So Death Note, one of my favorite stories in any medium of all time, and a story I have gone on record by saying that there is a first ending and a second ending. There is also a real world story behind the first and second ending, which was the first ending was intended by the creator to be the real ending. And then he got suitcases full of cash because of how popular Death Note was. And he says, I have a new ending and then wrote the second ending. And and it's it's an ending. And I have no idea what the fan, you know, response is. I'm, I'm not even interested in the fan response because, like, it's my opinion. But when I showed it to my wife as anime, I said, this is 12 discs. But the good news is we're only watching eight. Because I, I don't subscribe to the second ending. We're going to watch it at what the... We're going to end the series at what the creator thought the original ending should have been before suitcases of money got involved. 
So to me, that's a bad way to do it, right? Like you had to, I mean, and, and what made it crazier is that eight volumes or eight DVDs out of 12 volumes or 12 DVDs, I think that's how it breaks down. It was all building to a final point. And then you got the final point and it fucking rules this final point. But then there's more. And you're like, what? Like you were just building to this. Like Frodo threw the ring in Mount Doom. You're telling me there's more? Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, like imagine if Frodo threw the ring in Mount Doom, but there's more. Like, no, the goddamn saga's over. This is it. We did it, right? So that was that was the vibe on that that I wanted to mention with Death Note. I think one that is in the common dialogue is the is the TV series Lost. And that the TV series Lost by many people, and I, I don't subscribe to this, but this is my opinion. Many people think that that's a terrible way to extend a story. But in Lost's case, even though I'm sort of contradicting myself for Death Note, but what Lost did was extend the middle, right? Because there's, there's a great line from an old Saturday Night Live. It was like Tina Fey on Weekend Update. And she's like, and in related news, Lost... Uh, currently in its fourth series, just got extended to its fifth. And we had an interview with the creators who were quoted as saying, oh, crap. <laughs> right? Like, like, and and so that that shows you, even at that point in time, what the vibe on Lost was, right? So Lost went, uh, you know, a couple more seasons than that. And then it had its ending. But its ending was meant to be at, like, the end of season three. But it was so successful that they kept on extending the middle and having this meandering middle, right? So I'm going to go ahead and say that's probably not a good way to do it. But I also think it's fair to note, like, the caveat there that instead of getting to an end and then having to write a new ending, they simply extended the middle and created a lot of meandering, right? So to me... Not not as much of a sort of crime against storytelling as the lovely, lovely Death Note is, but oof, that, that second ending just makes me burn despite the fact that I just adore it, right? Um, and then the third thing, well, Scott, I, yeah, go ahead, well, no, please. I, I feel like a lot of Lost, a lot of the time the writers didn't know what the fuck they were going to do anyway, though. Yeah. You know, that's a, like, I guess Lost is a bad example because me personally, I think overall it was kind of a failure um it it felt like heroes the tv show heroes it was like we got a great idea for one season Mm -hmm. and and then after that it was kind of like they were all over the place what's this noise everyone's guessing it's clearly dinosaurs of course it's going to be dinosaurs they're on this island well guess what it's not dinosaurs it's it's a smog monster what the fuck is going on what the fuck is actually going on here um but no i think I think overall, as an example of a story, that is probably the best way you can do it. If someone does, in fact, throw a shitload of money at you, it's like, there. there's a couple of ways to do this. One, you can be an artiste. You can stick to your vision, and you can go, no, this is what it is, and I don't care how much money you throw at me, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Or... You're just like everyone else. And you're like, I like money. I like to have a very comfortable life. And you you do your best. So I think out of those two examples, um, extending your middle is definitely the way to go. Like, I know if if I am dying, I know there's a way to end second shift. Or I don't even have to be dying. I could just be, it could be 10 years from now, and I'm just tired. And it's like, you know Mm -hmm. what, I think I'm done drawing the series and I just want to pursue other things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a way to end my story. 
and and that's something I'm I have in my back pocket, and you know once that story is told, then I'll more than likely be done drawing the series. Yeah. Um, so out of those two examples, I think Lost out of those two are the best way to go for sure. Yeah, yeah. But but I have a third example, Scott, and this one's the one that guess guess what party people, you need to get ready to start drinking because we're going to talk Star Wars. We're going to talk about the sequel trilogy and how I think that is a great example of how to terribly extend a story. So look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my own personal opinion on the shelf that I didn't even think the sequels needed to exist. Okay. But let's, so let's assume, you know, let's, let's, I'm going to go ahead and take it as, as on faith that like, yes, the sequels had to exist. Because money. Because because money. Because franchise sustainment. Because Disney paid $4 billion to Lucasfilm or whatever it was, right? It's a bad way to extend a story. And what I'm going to do, Scott, is I'm going to join us together in a common thing. Which I think we've had a version of this at a bar once, right? We've had a version of this conversation at a bar once. The Force Awakens by J.J. Abrams set up something, okay? It set up Snoke as the bad guy. Ryan Johnson directs the second film, and he basically says, fuck Snoke. Snoke isn't the bad guy, and he has Snoke. He says, fuck your couch. Fuck your couch. I am grinding my muddy boots into your fucking couch, and I'm killing Snoke, right? And again, there's much more to it than that, but I think that key thread is the thread that really defines the sequels. So then what happens is, there's a third movie, and it has a director that is neither Ryan Johnson nor J.J. Abrams. Can't remember who it was. And that person may have had their own vision, but they left the project or were canned for the project or something like that. And if I remember right, they brought J.J. Abrams back. And then J.J. Abrams was like, well, you broke my Snoke. What the hell am I supposed to do? So he brings back Emperor Palpatine. Somehow, Palpatine returned. You can, you can blame Ryan Johnson. Or you can blame J.J. Abrams, and you and I blame different people there. But neither of them really deserve the blame. Who deserves the blame Disney. are Lucasfilm and the people who are actually helming this because they should have had something in place that said, Ryan, super cool that you want to kill Snoke. Not happening, right? Right. I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. Look, in a year or two from now, you're going to make a killer mystery that makes you forget about all this and becomes its own franchise. Okay, buddy? So just hang tough. But you're not killing Snoke right now. Right. And same thing with Abrams. It's like you, you, you can't do what you're doing. Like nobody was there to say, I know Snoke's gone, JJ, but like, seriously, why are you bringing back Emperor Palpatine? Right. And so to me, that's also a terrible way, arguably the worst way that you can extend a story. And, and I think that ties into our take on this, right? Which is extending a story. We've talked about a, a, a decent way to do it that you can, an understandable way to do it, lost. A questionable way to do it, given the suitcases of money, Death Note. And probably the worst way to do it, Star Wars is sequels, right? Which, but it all really ties to the same stuff of vision, of how to extend a story. Right. And so, Scott, you you work on an ongoing comic. You and Ed have this stuff scripted out. And so for me, like, it's pretty clear. I actually wrote this list and I said, so what are good ways it's done? But I could only come up with one thing. 
And the only one one way to do it that I think is the good thing is what you are modeling with Second Shift, which is the Chris Claremont X-Men method or the or the soap opera method. Let's call it that. Right. At any given time, you should be placing clues that lead to future threads in your story. Yeah. Um, and, and just a disclaimer, Keith and I do have very different opinions on the on the sequel trilogy. Um, I'm I'm perfectly fine with them existing. Uh, beyond money it's just like i'm cool with with seeing new stuff and if it sucks then i can just act like it doesn't exist right yeah (laughs) yeah, totally totally and i think my opinion on that is i think jj went in with the understanding of kind of the way they do things in comics where they go hey here are our toys you can't. You can make any story up with these toys, but don't break the toys, okay? So JJ went in there and said, "Oh, hey, check out this new toy I have. It's 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 Snoke. I got a Snoke right? toy. You can't break I, it. Snoke I is Doctor Doom. Toy. Do do not fucking kill Doctor Doom. Yeah. Do not kill it's just, Snoke. Right. These are new toys, and you're not supposed to break the toys. You're, you can play with the toys. You create the stories with them, right. but you don't break them. Right. And Ryan Johnson said, "Fuck you. Fuck toys. Fuck that toy. Yeah." I think the intentions were different, um, but the thing we do agree on, it is the it is the job of Disney, of Lucasfilms or whoever's in helm, you know, on the helm of, of the Star Wars movies, the franchise, yeah. to go, this is the storyline. Mm-hmm. And they did not do that, and that is the biggest misstep uh, with that, that yeah. franchise, that, totally. you know, the sequel trilogy. Um, but as far as Second Shift goes... Um, you know, Ed and I, we do have this planned out. We have probably 30 issues overall, like, in advance booked. Um, up until issue 30, I should say, not 30-plus from where we're at now. However, um, something I mentioned briefly on a previous episode recently. Every story that we do creates a new story later on. You know, you have a character in there, you have a villain, or you have a new superhero, or you have... What, a new friend or something, like a new new side character. Every time you have an interesting story, it triggers something in your brain that goes, man, I can't wait till this character comes back. And that just generates more and more stories. The thing that helps push the story forward beyond just the rogues gallery and the supporting cast is what's going on with your main characters. So I grew up an X-Men fan. Um reading, you know, Claremont and and Lee and Loeb and, you know, whoever else. And those stories are all based around human interaction. And I found that that's the thing that's most interesting to me. You know, it it delve into personal relationships, um, you know, will they, won't they, rivalries, um, you know, all of those things. And those being something that I could move forward in my own book. It's just like, well, hey, I understand me. I understand relationships. I understand, like, uh, you know, partnerships and all these other things. So for me, that's that's the easiest thing to move forward. And then you create the cool costumes. You create the cool superpowers. And uh, there you go. I, I, I come back to this thing that I think you were talking about. I'm, I'm going to do my best for your anecdote, Okay. When you first introduce the taxidermist storyline, what's that? Issue nine, right? Issue mm-hmm. nine. I believe Ed dropped a taxidermist reference in issue six or something like that. Yeah, it was like three. 
Okay, three. So yeah, really early on. And and when taxidermists came through, you know, you and Ed were able to say like, yeah, but I mean, I have this guy right here. Let's just do a story with him. And you're like, oh shit, you were thinking that far ahead. You used it in the context of talking about why writers are important, but it's that kind of stuff. And again, like, if you don't have a writer, you're the writer. So you need to make sure of this. If you're a person that's a tour de force creator and you're doing it all, then then that means you're the writer and uh, and you need to take on that writer role. So the ability, you know, extending your story in a good way actually isn't that difficult. You just need to have vision on places it could go. It's about planting seeds. Yes, and, and, and the beauty of planting seeds is you don't even have to know what they're exactly going to be. You just have to have them there. I have a couple stories. I have a couple seeds planted in Kadoja that I can I can use in the future if I want, because I took some time to plant those seeds. And if I ever want to come back to them, that becomes the basis of the next story. Yeah, and, and that's why I always suggest, you know, getting a writer. If for you artists out there that you're not doing actual studying to be a writer, like you're not taking courses or anything like that, or just going online and, and reading things and listening to interviews on, you know, how to put these things together, like it's a different level of thinking um, when you're doing stories. You know, the fact that Ed was able to drop that in so early on and he was able to do that because we laid a skeleton down first, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's also that's something that will help you um, guide you through so many other issues. It's like, OK, well, hey, I know we have this coming up here. And so for Ed to have the forethought to go, OK, well, let's stick them in here. We need we need some kind of distraction in issue three to take away from, you know, LaGrange. It's like, OK, yeah. LaGrange is the main focus of the story. But, hey, there's other stuff going on that's not involving him. And so throw in taxidermist there and you have a nice little sneak peek cameo of a future story. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was, I was not able to do, you know, it's just not something I ever thought about. Now I think working with Ed has helped me develop as like a fledgling writer, like on how to put stories together. Like I think like paradise Hills, I pretty much did the first 12 pages on my own and I think it's it's moving along nicely, you know, like there's there's stuff going on um, that it has a nice flow to. And, you know, like I had mentioned on the episode with Dave Law is you complimented that it's like, hey, you actually pulled this off. And it's mm-hmm. like right on, like as someone that doesn't consider self them, themselves a writer and I was able to pull something off that is quite difficult. So, uh, you know, that's I think that is all lending to Ed, you know. Ed's storytelling and how he puts things together and it's just like I'm reading these these scripts as they come in and you know I'm translating them in my own vision but you know I can I'm visualizing Ed's story like how Mm -hmm. he's putting it all together yeah yeah I mean to me it comes back you know I've had a little run of like corny business speak things that actually apply but a corny business speak thing that I I remember is people don't plan to fail they just fail fail to plan. plan Right. And and I think in, in terms of extending a story, like like you may write a story like I'm doing with animals, and you have no intention of extending it, you should still plant a couple things in there. It's not hard. Tiny little seeds that you can do thinking about the future just in case. Cause as creators, I think we all do that on some level. I think on some level, you know, like I just had a meeting 
uh, as part of Invader with uh, with a, a company I'm not going to name, okay? Uh, a Hollywood company I'm not going to name. But what they were looking for was stuff like long-running series. Well, you know, that sort of puts me up a creek when it comes to some of, you know, like, Kadoja's a great long-running series, but... If I was, I like, I can't pitch animals. Animals does not exist in this context. I can't talk about it. It's not a long running series. Someday it might be though. Like, I can do two issues, think it's pretty cool, wait for a warm response, and then two years later go back to the animals universe. But you have to plant those seeds so that you can see how they've grown in the time between. Just, just make sure you're doing those kind of things. And again, that gets back to the Death Note thing on why it irked me so. Because every seed you planted was going toward a certain thing. That certain thing happened. Nobody knew the outcome until you got to it. You didn't know which way it was going to go. But that certain thing happened. It was like, but wait, there's more. It's like, huh? Like, that's, that's jarring. And that's something that I, I don't think people out there should try to emulate with their own properties. You know, a great thing about being the creator of these series, even if you do two issues of the of animals and this studio goes, we like this, we want to we want to move forward with this, but we need more stuff. Well, the good news is you're the writer. You can create more things. Totally. And it kind of it's not a bad thing the way you do your books, because this is like the Tim Radecki method of mm-hmm. you create a bunch of stories, you see which one which ones people like, and then you can move forward on that. So if you have a bunch of properties that have only a couple of issues, it's just like, well, guess what, Hollywood? You have a whole lot to try, uh, you know, yeah. try from. And if you like one, I'll make more of them, you know? And it's just like, you could even do, as the writer, the cool part about this is your job translates to Hollywood. You mm-hmm. can write scripts for Hollywood, and it's like, we can do this. You know, like, yeah. if you like the visual element, you like the way the story's laid out, I can just write you stories mm-hmm. and not even have the visual element because you guys are going to move forward into, you know, if it's animation or if it's live action, you could just move forward with characters. And then at that point, they hi- they hire storyboard artists, etc., and mm-hmm. and everything's grooving. Now that you mentioned it, like, planting seeds and such... You, you can do things in your story that weren't even necessarily plants and you can expand on them like, hey, this was like this. This goes all the way back to us turning um, tertiary characters into more. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had people in the um, you have people in uh, the room uh, with your main characters and they're just doing stuff on the computer and they have a couple lines. You're like, hey. This is actually a really cool character. Right. Um, I think I'm going to do more with them. And that happened with Second Shift number eight. You know, we had the cadre in there. It's full of characters, full of villains, like international villain team, uh, the, the, the spurs of, of the comics world. And so it's just like, oh, hey, I'm doing these Drawtober issues. I want to do something with uh, Maestro Mentallo. He's a really cool looking Really cool looking villain, mm-hmm. re- really cool looking powers, re- really cool powers. I want to do something with him, and I want to do uh, something with him in Light Shower. I have I have a great idea for it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is you get another issue of this character. You get to know them better because they were just in there for a brief moment, and you get to expand them. You know, it's like now you have another player in your yeah. in your world. And Absolutely. so do doing things like that expands your story. Like issues eleven and twelve that. 
you know, the two Drawtober issues, those weren't part of the plan. You know, like when we skeleton this thing out, those definitely were never in there. But it's just like, hey, I want to do this. I, I want to do this cool idea. I want to draw a panel every day for a month and just have a book. And it's just like, oh, shit, like we can really expand the universe doing something like this. And you just get more out of it. You know, there's something speaking of animation, like in manga specifically or, or, or anime, I hear I see people complain about like, oh, this was just a filler episode. It's like, oh, this has nothing to do with the main story. It's just a filler episode. What's the point of this? What's wrong with more stories? Mm. It's equivalent to a one shot. It's just like, so when you read a comic book, does it like in your mind, does it always have to be going somewhere or can you just have a story sometimes? It's like, mm -hmm. hey, that was a cool one and done story. I really enjoyed that issue of Spider-Man where he did this thing and, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's okay to have those fillers. Like I, me personally, I've never had a problem with it. Like, oh, Jessica Jones, it was it was 10, -ish, uh, 10 episodes, but it should have been eight because there was two filler episodes. Like mm -hmm. no one told you to sit there and watch all 10 in a row, dude. Like yeah. you it's okay to have a life like it's okay to do things in between so having those issues where it kind of just expands the world a little bit like there's nothing wrong with more like at least in my right. mind right right no no i i hear you i hear you god I, I was gonna mention this idea of you know like you've you've called back a few things we've talked about on previous episodes and i'm gonna call back the uh the the great neil gaiman quote right the second draft is where you get to act like you knew what you were doing all along well, future stories are also where you get to act like what you knew what you were doing all along. And to your point, we're saying plant seeds, but nobody's making you. Like, you can have a character that you introduce, and as long as you have the skill to pull off something in the future, then you have yourself a story. You know, I was I was trying to search my brain a little bit for good examples and bad examples in TV of how you can take a character that just sort of was there and turn it into something either good or bad, right? Good, Better Call Saul, from what I hear. I haven't watched it, but Better Call Saul from, um, fuck, whatever the name of that episode Breaking is. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Bad, Joni loves Chachi. Mm. You can do anything as long as you can pull it off. And that's what this comes down to. And so I, I, I love, I love, so to all of what we said, to bring it kind of home with some summary, planting seeds helps a ton. Try not to contradict yourself. Make sure that you have some level of future vision, but also understand that if you have the skill to pull something off, then you can take things from your original story that you may not have intended to extend and extend it anyway if if you if you can do it, you know, and, and there's plenty of people out there that can do stuff like that and have it work. Yeah, I speaking of like making something work like having an idea and saying hey i think i think there's a way to do something there like for instance i have this backer um he worked he used to work at socal comics dennis shout out to dennis yeah. um he likes to back the projects that the accidental aliens do and he loves to back the guest role like the guest star role and so i recently had a spot open for a guest star role and i was just like if he backs it again he dies like in second shift 10 like at the end of second shift he dies and i was like if he backs again how would i bring him back and so it's all about using your brain power what what mm -hmm. can you do with something like that and yeah. make it interesting and it, it's his i was just like oh what if what if he's what if he's also a superpower being yeah and we didn't realize it 
Yeah. He has a be- the ability to regenerate, or he has a he can duplicate, or he has a twin. And then so like all of these thoughts jump through my mind very quickly on yeah. how to bring this guy back. And it's just like, or it could just be a mystery. It's like, how does this guy keep coming back? Yeah. You know, and at some point you can tell that story, but it can be something that can be left to the reader's imagination. It's just like, hey, isn't that the guy from issue 10? Like, how... I thought he died at the end of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then if he just keeps popping up and keeps popping up and keeps popping up, it's going to build something in their mind that there's something going on. Yeah. And you can oh. choose to make that something or you can just leave it dangling to just tickle the back of their brain and, yeah. and you yeah. know, keep it interesting. I, I have to give an anecdote here because it's not comic writing, but boy, is it writing. Um, I'm going to dip back into my band years a little bit. So I think I've told this story in in some from some angles before but let's just retell it real quick in in a kind of through a different through line right big pimp jones's biggest selling record was a record on freestyle called bad bad jimmy ruckus the premise of that was oh look we found this rare soundtrack from 1976 or 1975 whenever it was Um, For an unreleased film called Bad, Bad Jimmy Ruckus. And rumor, you know, uh, rumor has it that, uh, you know, a film so legendary and rare that rumor that that it went for nine hundred thousand dollars on eBay auction for the master and was rumored to be bought by none other than Quentin Tarantino. That's the that's the copy line. So guess who started the rumor, motherfucker? The person writing this right now. I did it. (laughs) right like the whole thing was totally fake and if i haven't mentioned this before people have come up to me and they've been like what's it what was it like to work with tarantino like it was really cool (laughs) you know like (laughs) like like you didn't you know so so uh plenty you know there were plenty of people who sniffed out the joke immediately and understood how tongue-in-cheek it was but it was fun it was a dope record people really liked it and and i remember like i was you know i sort of had my own moment like this because i got an email from the label president and he's like dude you know we just got this huge order um this should come as no surprise to anybody that like a store in japan actually tower records japan placed some enormous wholesale order for it like we had to we had to do a second run of the first pressing he was like they just ordered this many copies i was like what so wow, that's awesome. uh, so so then he was like so what's the next one God damn! It's and, like, dude, I just released this one. What dude, are you talking to about? To quote, to quote the creators from Lost, I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> I plunged the depths of my. Now, look, the band had always been working on funk. We had we we make we made funk forever. We were always in the studio knocking out tracks. We were always writing tracks. We were always trying to make dope funky shit, and uh, and so I, I I called up the guys in the band. I'm like, they want another record. And, and, you know, they were like, okay, you know, like we, we have the music, but what are we doing? I'm like, I don't know, but I plunge the depths of my brain. And uh, so anybody out there who wants to go look at the copy, look at the copy, find the copy on the back of the album or the back of the CD for Jimmy Ruckus and the five fingers of death and understand that was our, that was our follow-up to that. And it was like, but wait, there's another record and another soundtrack, except this one was only released in Singapore. <laughs> like it was just this, it was, <laughs> it was an even more insane story. Um, and by that time I figured, you know, people were in on the joke so they would appreciate the joke. I wrung 
every drop of water out of that towel to make that thing work and make it be semi-believable. And then, like, when we finished that one, I was like, there's just no fucking way we can do another one. (laughs) There's no way. (laughs) There's, like, we have the music, but I'm out of stories. Like, there's no way we can do these stories. So that's that's a great example i think kind of back to the circular point of even when you think you can extend a story you might be able to do it just a little bit if you really tap your brain hard and uh, and just find something anything to latch onto and then build on yeah if if you got the creative juices like go for it see what you can think of but you know there's you know like i said when i was thinking of of dennis and him in the supporting role the guest role or whatever it's just like you can pull it off. It was just a quick brainstorm of of things that I had. It's like, okay, well, how can we make this more interesting? How can we make this more unique? You know, it's just like, if you have the creative juice, go for it. Like you said, if you could pull it off, then you can do it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I actually, while Scott was talking, I actually pulled the my my comp copy I have of Jimmy Ruckus and the Five Fingers of Death. So I'll read that once we stop recording here because it's it's a good time. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's it's you challenge yourself and uh, and that that goes back to a familiar refrain we've had, right? Like, don't be afraid to challenge yourself. Don't be afraid to put yourself as a creator up in that tree and throw rocks at yourself. And uh, and you'll get some pretty wonderful things. You can get some pretty wonderful things if you just push yourself and you and hey. Here's how you know you push yourself, Scott, in the right way. Because at the end, your creative juices are really flat. They're like an, a Capri Sun pouch with absolutely nothing in it. You get it. Yeah, we all I get, get it. it. We all we get, all get it. it. Yeah. All right, man. Um, hey, so I give this Carl Strauss Brewing Company Golden Stout Coffee Vanilla Bean Cocoa Nipples 16-ounce 7.5 ABV. I give it a 7. Okay. It's solid. I liked it. Um, if you like coffee, vanilla bean, cocoa nipples, I would say yeah, yeah, give it a go. Okay. I don't know. I don't know that I would buy it again. Mm-hmm. Like it, this can at the beer store was four seventy. Yeah. Now that's more expensive than Fin Dumont per can. Mm, yes. It this is. is not better than Fin Dumont. Yes. Per can. Great. So great. Uh, kind of like standard unit of measure there too (laughs) yes so to give give the listeners out there an idea if you don't drink a lot of craft brew like i think a standard amount for a single can if if you're going to the store right is about three bucks three to 350 is very standard for a single can now if you're getting it under you're getting a really good deal um or the beer's not very good one of those two things so fin dumon is very high up. I don't know what I gave that. I gave that an eight, eight and a half or something like that. Yeah. So I, 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 even, I even think eight to eight, eight and a half is low. Personally, I think I think that, that is a, that is a Keith nine, nine and a half man. Fin Dumont's the shit. Yeah, it is the shit. It, you know, it might have been a nine, actually, now that I'm thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, because I do love my Goldens. Well, we, you know? we made it a nine. Nobody's going to go back and check. It's not like we yeah. archive our episodes or anything. It's a nine. You don't need to go back for that. It was a nine. Um, yeah. So this, I give a seven. It is solid. Um, if you do not like this style of beer, this will not change your mind. Um, but it is it is very good. Okay. Claremont Craft Ales Grapefruit Double IPA. 4.5. 4.5. 4.5. Yikes. 
Here's the thing that works against the can sucked and so did the beer. <laughs> the can, and and so there's a couple things going in play here. Number one is I had another Claremont Craft Ale the other day, and I think that was some kind of I think it was a double IPA with some lemon zest in it. That damn thing was at least an eight and a half. It was great. So there's a couple things working against it aside from the can. I'm ignoring the can. I'm just tasting the beer. One. It's not as good as the other Claremont beer I had the other night. Two, it's nowhere near as good as the other grapefruit IPAs that I've had. You know, like, what is it? Sculp- grapefruit Sculpin is right. is the gold standard of grapefruit IPAs. And there are a couple others that I like every bit as much. I had a, a really good grapefruit IPA, actually, through the, um, through the beer club, through the um, Lazy Dog Beer Club. And I might even still have a can in the fridge of, of the, you know, the second can. But... 4.5, you know, like 5.0 is like, it's a beer, I'll drink it, it's fine, like 4.5, I'm, I'm telling you, like, if you see this, pass on it, if you want a grapefruit IPA, get somebody else's, you know, because Any other grapefruit I, Scott, I, did, but this one. I didn't taste the grapefruit, mm, I didn't taste, and, and, and it was quite bitter, so look, I want to give them a little bit of credit, because it's not easy to make a beer, God knows I can't do it, but I didn't taste the grapefruit, and and it was very bitter as far as IPAs go. Bitter Brewestroff. That's that from a German? commercial. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's from a it's from a beer commercial a long time ago, and I can't remember what it How was. Long? I think they make like a I think they make like a sour face. Uh, maybe late nineties, early oh, aughts. Wow. Okay. Bitter Brewestroff. Oh yeah, because the oh the the beer, the beer is expired. Oh, was it bitter? Was it like a German version of bitter beer face? Was it that Miller yeah, Light yes. commercial where the guy kept doing the bitter beer face? Yes. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rock on. Uh, see, okay, so I think the bitterness actually does come from the grapefruit without the grapefruit flavor. Hmm. Because I actually dislike grapefruit, but I do love grapefruit sculpin. Right. So, but it, it's that bitterness in there. But yeah, that's that's not what you're looking for when you hear grapefruit double IPA. And that's another disappointment right there. Yeah. Like a double IPA is far superior to a single IPA. I don't yeah. like single IPAs anymore. I, I, I like doubles more than singles. All right, man. Um, okay. So you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can also pick my books up at AccidentalAliens.com. Uh, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanders of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, and of course, all the Accidental Alien anthologies, including Tales from the Mothership, are located at AccidentalAliens.com. Are they all in stock again? Like, I think you, you stocked out a little bit. Yeah, you got them all back. Yeah, so 2017 is long gone. We actually do have, I think, about seven to ten reserved copies left because one of the artists from that um, just didn't want to do conventions anymore and just wanted to be a painter, like mm. um, just just focus on painting, which is totally cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got to buy those issues back from him at cost. So um, the next time I do an anthology, we're going to throw those up there on the Kickstarter. And um, yeah, those are going to go for a high, high ticket item because the very yeah. first appearance of Wanders and Melisande is that 2017. Nice. So nice. very cool. Uh, hey. But the 2018, 19 and Tales from the Mothership are all still available. We actually just reordered Tales from the Mothership. Um, we had only done a print run of 100 and those are gone. And so I did another print run of 50 of it. And that's one that's going to be kept in stock for a little bit. Um, The other three, 
we did print runs of 500 and I think 2018 had 650 because um, we had made a little bit more money on that and um, some of the creators wanted a little more copies so we just did a little extra more books but um, Tales from Mothership is definitely the lowest print run at the moment um, but we'll still keep that in stock for for maybe another year or two okay is the painter just painting or is this like, is he like the lead singer of Killing Joke? Like he disappeared from the grid and he's like, he's been painting with Tibetan monks for like four years. <laughs> um, He's been painting less, I've noticed. Like we're okay. still friends on social media. He's a very nice guy, um, but he just wanted to focus on like painting and, and okay. he's a very good painter at that. So yeah, um, good for him. He just wasn't into the interior storytelling yeah. aspect yeah i mean of it that, all. hey and again interior storytelling is a is a different bear than wanting to do single pieces and you know kind of state yeah. your state your game um in the context of one piece right so it is it is a grind for sure hey create create however you want to create in whatever way works for you man so um okay so for me you can find me on instagram at keith underscore invader i've got I try to do updates on all the stuff that's coming in. So once I get a nice page of three protectors, I'm going to throw it up there. I've been throwing up some pencils of Kadoja Symphony number three already. Um, and at some point, once I get Animals 2 cranking, hey, I still got to get the script back with notes. I got to incorporate those notes and then I got to find an artist. I have a good idea who I'm going to talk to. But um, yeah, man, the I try to give like as much previews, as many previews of some things coming up as well as stuff I'm doing, books I'm reading. Yeah, the occasional photo of me, no matter how much I hate it, but uh, but it's all there. And uh, and then, of course, KeithRFoster.com has some pages on Three Protectors. That is Kung Fu in Space, Kadoja, that is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, and, of course, Animals dot 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 want to kill you. And that is coming out very soon. And uh, you, can, you can get those copies, those books, all through my web store. I was thrilled to see a pre-order come through for Animals Number 1 the other day. That's always neat. So, uh, hey, oh, Scott, what a random thing. So anyway, KeithRFoster.com on that. So we're recording this. No way. Two days. We are. It's not live. I swear to God. I swear to God, it's not live. Yeah. I'm in your backyard. <laughs> I'm outside your house. I'm we're all, outside, we're your outside all your houses right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we, as we record this, Scott and I have an in-store at Comic Book Hideout in Fullerton, California, two days from now. I have been sweating the arrival delivery of Animals Number 1. Because I'm doing an in-store no matter what. But the original ship date I was given for Animals Number 1 was June 20th. And here we are a couple days later and a couple days before the thing. And I'm like, this. I was like, is this even going to ship on the date it did? I got my ship notification. The second I got the ship notification, I was like, when's it going to show up? It's going to show up one day before the in-store. So I have been obsessively checking that UPS tracking number to make sure that it shows up one day before the in-store. Scott, for the last 24 hours, the goddamn thing has said, no delivery date, we'll let you know once it's there. So like, oh no, I don't know what's going on. I'm hoping, like, I'm hoping that it's like a breakdown in the tracking and not a breakdown in the shipping and that I will get these books just in time for the in-store because boy, would I love to have those things. You know, street dates through Diamond aren't exactly record store, you can't break these date dates. Like, it's the date for retailers. That doesn't make it the necessary. Like, I can do a soft launch for my own damn book if that's what I want to do. So right. I will be tracking that thing crazy and waiting for a date to come back because 
right now. It's showing up the night before, and it can't show up any later than that. So I have my fingers crossed for that. But like, how crazy is that shit, right? So anyway, yeah, um, so yeah, man, that that book will be uh, arriving in all kinds of places soon, and it'll be in comic shops in a couple weeks, probably pretty soon to when um, this airs. And uh, and we'll just go from there, and it'll of course be on the web store. So KeithRFoster.com. And you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, have anything you want to ask us specifically, you're going through something, part of your process, you don't know how to get through it, uh, hit us up Hit us up yeah. at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Do you have your notifications turned on right now? No. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you, you didn't, I have you it didn't, on. You didn't see the NBA trade that just went through through the draft, did you? No, I have, um, I have a, a Do Not Disturb and Airplane mode on. Oh, Okay. Why don't so, you tell so, me so I can react to it? So when you check your notifications, you're going to notice. So, dude, Charlotte traded LaMelo Ball. What the fuck? For, for the number eight pick and giving the Making Comics podcast five stars on your local podcatcher. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I, I, finally I think they got, got ripped you. off. <laughs> I know. But, like, when you really think about it, like, there's so much value in giving us a five-star review on both um, iTunes and on Spotify. I totally made that up. Yeah, there's no real trade. <laughs> but, oh, okay. I had to figure I started out a, looking. <laughs> <laughs> I had to figure out a way how to do it. But uh, but yeah, safe. So, so for all you out there, that's not a real trade. But please do give us five stars on your local podcatcher. Mainly it's going to be Apple Podcasts and, of course, Spotify. It helps. Words help even more. And we love you for it. So thank you to those of you who have given us reviews. And for those who haven't, please do. I'm still looking up the trades. I'm just like wondering. <laughs> like now I'm just curious what's going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Yay. Yeah, yeah.